0: What's up, heroes? NFTs have been all the rage in the last couple of weeks in the art and music industry, so I thought I'd do a little research and summarize what I found. Perhaps the biggest headline was when Beeple, yes, the beloved visual artist who has been giving away free VJ loops for years that we've probably all used at some point or another, sold a piece of digital art called Everydays for a record-breaking $69 million as an NFT transaction brokered by the famed auction house Christie's. This short podcast episode is designed to help you understand the basics well enough to decide if you want to invest some time trying out NFTs and then pointing you in the right direction to get you started. In this episode, I'm going to talk about what NFTs are, how they're currently benefiting artists, and how they may one day change the industry as a whole. But first, cue the intro music. NFTs are non-fungible tokens. Fungible means how easy an item is to be replaced. Cash is very fungible. One dollar is as good as another. The Mona Lisa, in contrast, is totally non-fungible. It is one of a kind. So NFTs use a type of encrypted ledger or log called a blockchain to keep track of transactions the encrypted ledger is distributed across many computers making it more robust so a hacker or national natural disaster can't just take out some central server and bring the whole thing crashing down so what good is this encrypted ledger well it has lots of potential applications and companies from walmart to ibm are all leaning into this technology think about any transaction in our society that requires trust from banks to title companies If we had a digital way to authenticate transactions with 100% certainty, we wouldn't need as many middlemen, bringing the costs down for everyone. Which brings us to the music industry. There are two ways that I see NFTs helping musicians. First, it could bring down the cost of musical trust based transactions. Rolling Stone ran an article a couple of years ago highlighting the fact that major label artists only average 12 cents on the dollar due to all of the middlemen involved in processing, selling, marketing, and managing their music. Obviously, many of those people provide tangible value, but a chunk of those trust-related transactions, like musical rights, for example, might be better handled with NFTs that track ownership of digital assets. Second, by creating scarcity, unique digital art, it increases the value of the art. It's like a signed baseball hat or one-of-a-kind sculpture. The uniqueness creates value, which is important because so much of the world doesn't value digital music. Most people think it should be free to stream any song that ever existed, and artists only receive an average of four-tenths of a cent per stream on Spotify, even if that song changed somebody's life. Prior to 2020, most musicians made their money touring because it wasn't really about the music, it was about the experience of going to a concert. So, what are musicians doing right now with NFTs? Many artists are selling short video clips with music or songs with some added value or perk or exclusive offer. Think about the types of incentives offered on Patreon. The difference is that there's no Patreon middleman, and future transactions can be tracked as well Thereby creating a market for reselling these unique collectible digital items. Stevie Oki, deadmau Mouse, ThreeLau, and Space Yacht have all sold millions of dollars worth of NFTs just in the last month. So if I decided to sell a, a unique clip of me spinning my flow chucks in time to my music, that piece of digital property now belongs to the owner. As my career takes off and I suddenly hit it big, that digital piece of property also increases in value and could be resold for a greater amount. My video clip becomes a unique, valuable digital asset instead of a commodity that can be easily copied and distributed for free, at least among people that are willing to ignore copyright. I like this quote from MixMag.net. NFTs could be revolutionary for musicians, giving them a lot more control over their output and its pricing and offering a direct revenue stream between themselves and fans that's not reliant on third parties, such as streaming platforms and concert promoters. It's probably no coincidence that they're taking off in the pandemic, following a lot of artists becoming reliant on touring as a primary income in the wake of declining record sales. Okay, maybe you're sold. How do you get started selling your one-of-a-kind digital art? There are really just four steps, and it looks like this probably only takes a couple of hours if you've got the art ready to go. First, you have to set up a crypto wallet. A crypto wallet holds a unique identifier for you, which gives you access to your digital art which is actually stored on the blockchain. Second, you purchase some Ether through an exchange, like Binance, Gemini, Kraken, eToro, or Coinbase. NFTs use the Ethereum blockchain, so Ether is the currency of choice. Third, you have to transfer the Ether to your wallet. And finally, the last step, you set up an auction at a marketplace like OpenSea.io or NiftyGateway.com. Note, there are upfront networking fees they call GAS, and different marketplaces have different fee structures, so read the fine print... For musicians, OpenSea may make the best sense because you can create a multitude of cheaper NFTs using their collection manager for a one-time fee. Conceptually, that's it. In practice, it can get a lot more complicated, and I'll have a link to a great walkthrough in the show notes. Not everyone is equally excited about this. Memo Acton, a computational engineer, has written several highly detailed blog posts that estimate the exceedingly high energy costs of NFTs, making them pretty environmentally unfriendly. Other authors are questioning if this is really a form of pyramid scheme that will collapse as soon as people stop dumping money into the NFT markets, as well as questioning the gas transactional costs. Am I going to jump into this? Not yet. Mostly because I don't have time. I'm getting ready to move my studio back to Atlanta, and I am also concerned about the environmental impacts as well as the potential for it being a bubble. I am fascinated by the technology, though, so if I do decide to give this a shot, I will absolutely have a future episode about it. One more quick news item before we wrap up for the week. Tiesto is holding a remix contest for the business in conjunction with LoopCloud that closes on April 7th. You've probably heard this track. It's been streamed half a billion times, and the prizes for this contest are great, including release opportunities and $7,000 in prizes. Even if you don't come up with something absolutely amazing, it's worth grabbing the free st- stems just so you can hear how Tiesto processes some of his sounds individually. For example, I noticed he's side-chaining his vocals to his kicks, but only during the chorus. And then on the bass, his side-chain is actually clicky, something I've always been taught is a mistake, but at Tiesto's level, I've got to assume he did it on purpose. You do have to sign up for LoopCloud's free trial if you're not already a member, but again, I think that's well worth the money for reasons I explained back in episode 28. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. I'll have lots of links for you in the show notes, so head over to producerlifepodcast.com and look for episode 64. Until next week. This is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today.